Lord, that is who you are. It is in your nature to keep your promises, God. We thank you for every single one. For those who need strength today, I pray you give them strength. For those who need hope, I pray you give them hope. Whatever the need is, God, I just pray there would be a sense of your presence and your power in our lives. And even in this moment, Lord, we want to hear from you now. I pray that your word will be living and active as you promise it is. Lord, we pray for your direction. We pray for your conviction. And now we ask, Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out of your, your very work in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Let me hear a good one, everybody. Second service. Amen, amen. All right. You all can get cozy. Take a seat in the room. I always want to do this every week. Say hey to everybody online. I know there's a lot of you guys out there joining us, so we're so glad to have you guys too. Now, last week, we launched a series called Relationship Reset. And for this fall season, I got a woo. So this is going to be a good service. I like second service, the rowdy crowdy. And we're talking all things relationships, everybody, for the fall. We're talking marriage. We're talking singleness. We're talking sex. We're talking dating. We're talking divorce, remarriage, parenting, all of the things. All right, so I promise you will hear something for you over these coming weeks for sure. And we kind of set the stage last week. We made a case that there is actually a divine design to our relationships in general and marriage in particular. But basically, God has made us to function in a certain way when it comes to our relationships. And yet, even though that's true, every single one of us, we need a little reset from time to time, right? In our relationships, we need to hit the refresh button. We need to get back to factory settings on how this thing is supposed to work. And I made this offer last week. This is the whole series. At any point in time, if you want to text in a question, a story, a struggle, maybe you have an amazing redemption story in a marriage or a relationship, it's totally anonymous, but we had some awesome responses last week and we would love just to share an experience and go on this journey together, even a prayer request, whatever it is, you can use that for your own benefit. Now, I promise I will hit everybody throughout this series, all right? So it'll come to you. But today, today is specifically for the husbands and the wives, all right? It's a husband-wife sermon. You got to clap. You may not be clapping in a couple minutes, all right? But you'll see. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Now, even if you're not married, though, I want to add this preface. This is still for you because you may be single right now and hoping to be married one day or married again. And you may have a child who's going to get married or is married. You have friends, you have family. Like, no matter where your status is on the marriage spectrum, we all get impacted by marriages. And so it's really important for us all to have a biblical understanding for how God really set this thing up to work. And here's what I do know, though. If you are somebody who is married here or has been married, one thing I'm certain is, is that you have been very frustrated before. Ladies, every single wife in this room, Amen. at some point, <laughs> that's Pastor Spencer's wife, by the way, so that's one of our staff members. I don't know if we need to have a talk with him later, um, <laughs> but ladies, at some point in your marriage, you have had this thought, is he really that stupid? You've had that thought, if you're a married woman. Husbands, real talk to the guys, every single one of us guys, you've had this thought in your marriage. Will she ever leave me alone? You've had that thought. And any, anybody who is, okay, there's Pastor Spencer again for the response. Send that back right back, send that ball back over to her, Spencer. Um, here's the thing. We all know the answer to those questions, though. We all know to the answer to the first question. Is he really stupid? Yes, ladies, he really is. That is the answer to the question. 
We know the answer to the second question too. No, she is never going to leave you alone, guys. That's just a fact of it. And now as we dig into this, I just want to say, if you are married and sitting with your spouse right now, you need to do this. You need to whisper in the ear, honey, I promise to listen for me today and not for you. That'll make a lot more sense in a couple minutes. You need to make that promise right now, okay? If you are sitting next to a boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, or significant other, you need to whisper over to them, I better see you taking notes today. (laughs) Better see some notes. And if you are single, sitting near a married person, you have my permission to say to him right now, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it's going to hurt me. (laughs) Is anybody ready for this? We're about to get after it. So how has God designed this thing to work? What is the function of marriage from a biblical perspective? We're going to answer that question today. And there's actually a text that speaks directly to this idea. It's one of the most famous marriage passages in the Bible. And it's in a letter called Ephesians, which is something Paul wrote back in the first century to a church in the city of Ephesus. This is a real guy, real people talking about this picture of marriage. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 21 when we go into this section. And here's how Paul opens it up. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is an important line. This line Paul is using to set up his entire discussion following. Because he's about to cover marriage relationships, parent-child relationships, authority structures in society. And so this is the foundation laying verse where he's basically saying, you need to understand, if you are a serious follower of Jesus... You need to lay down your preferences for the sake of others. That we are all called to this idea of submission and laying ourselves down in some level. But here's what's so important that we have to get on the front end, guys. This is a preface. The motivation of this is everything. He's saying your attitude towards this must come out of your sincere devotion to Jesus, your reverence for him. This is worship, everybody, reverence for him. This is... How you function in your relationships is a response to the grace of God in your life. And so how you act towards other people is actually a way to bring glory to Jesus himself. This is what Paul is saying. Everything we do in our relationships must come out of reverence for Jesus. All right? That's the heart. Now we put our seatbelts on, okay? And we're going to go to the next verse and really dig into the marriage portion of what Paul is talking about when he gives us this idea. Verse 22. Wives. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. How many men want my job today? (laughs) You guys, you know, one of my commitments is that we would never skirt biblical texts. And we lean in and we do the hard work. And this is definitely one of those. And I need to add a disclaimer. This single verse has been used as a nuclear weapon in the church. It has been used to demean and devalue women. It's been used to actually justify sin from husbands and other men. It has done massive amounts of harm in the church, and it is still the subject of a huge debate all throughout Christendom. So this is a nuclear verse. With that being said, I feel like before our heads get full of all these different ideas of where I'm going with this, I need to clarify what we are not talking about today. All right? What are we definitely not saying when we talk about wives submitting to their husbands? Here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about subservience, everybody. This is not about one person just doing the bidding of another person where there's no room for disagreement or other perspectives where, ladies, you're just a doormat in the relationship. That is not at all what we're talking about. 
We're not talking about inferiority either. It's not about some person being above another person. You will never see this taught in the Bible where wives are somehow beneath their husbands in any way. That is not at all what we're talking about. And I want to make sure we're very clear. We aren't even really talking about some sort of hierarchical structure in the marriage relationship. This is not some top-down command where one person has control over the other. You know, sometimes when we talk about this, you start getting ideas of like a business or like military structures. Here's the thing. If you're in a marriage... You are not in a Fortune 500 company, everybody. This is a marriage, okay? This is a very different thing. And Paul specifically even talks about your own husbands. So ladies, if you ever have some guy come up to you that you're not married to, say, you need to submit because I'm the man, you're the woman. You have my permission to kick him between the legs with force, okay? This is not at all what we're talking about. Husbands, you got to hear me though. Paul is not giving you this verse as a weapon in the wars you have with your wife. Okay. This is between him and them right now. So what are we talking about then? We talk about this call to submission for a wife. We really have to understand actually first the struggle of a wife. Every wife has a very real struggle. And last week, we talked about how when sin entered the world, it distorted everything. All of our relationships have been fractured in a massive way because of sin. We all experience this on a big level. But the marriage relationship has been impacted in a particular way. And God, speaking directly to Eve, When sin enters the world, he talks about the ramifications of her relationship in her marriage and how we all experience this too. He says in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband. Now, sometimes you read that and you're like, well, so hold up. Are all the wives just going to like have the hots for their husbands? Like you just can't take your hands off your husband. Like you just want him so bad. And I know what every wife is thinking right now. Brian, that is not my struggle at all. Actually, not even in the least. That's not something at all I struggle with. And this is the important thing. Sometimes these words are loaded with meaning here, especially in the early pages of the Bible. So when he's talking about desire, this is a packed word. Here's what he's saying. Wives, you are actually going to have a sinful tendency to not step into God's design for you, to come alongside, to support, bless, and strengthen your marriage relationship. And instead, you are actually going to undermine it usually expressed through either clinging dependence or controlling manipulation. Now, ladies, I don't want you to think about yourselves yet. I want you to think about some other women in your lives, okay? I'm giving you permission to think about other people right now. Think about some of the marriages you see. There are definitely some marriages where you'll see women who are overly quiet and compliant in the relationship. Their entire existence is enmeshed in another man. And it doesn't even look like this beautiful compliment thing. It looks like really unhealthy and destructive codependence. We've seen these relationships before. And there's actually women that almost can't even function without the constant propping up of a man in their life. And they would never think about confronting their husband, even if it was for his benefit. That's a problem. Now you swing the pendulum the other way. I think we've all seen marriages like this, where you see a wife who is overly loud and contentious. There are wives who verbally ride their husbands all day long. 
They're nagging. They're on his case all the time. They are trying to play the role of God in his life. And what's interesting is sometimes I'll talk to wives. They're like, well, Brian, it's the only way I can get him to do anything. To which I say, I'm sure you eventually break him down into submission. This is also why you feel like you are married to a little boy right now. And you're parenting him. And this is why he feels like he's married to a mom. Now, sometimes it's just straight disrespect. There's some wives, they just just tear their husbands down. Just berate them, snide comments, little manipulative things, sometimes even in front of people, in front of the kids. Just tear him apart. There's a lot of women who actually have a lot of contempt for their husbands. They don't have any respect for them. I can't even believe this is in the Bible. There's multiple variations of this, six different variations of this. Here's one, Proverbs 21.9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Can you imagine driving home from work one day and pulling in your neighborhood and there's just a dude on his roof in your neighborhood and you're like, Steve, what are you doing putting a tent up on your roof? And he's like, trust me, it's way better up here than in there. I'd rather be up here living up on this side of the house. Now, there's a lot of nuance to this, everybody. I understand this nuance. Generally speaking, though, generally speaking, you see a marriage that's struggling, and if the wife is playing a role, I understand this nuance, you will typically see either a woman who is allowing a man to walk all over her, or you are seeing a woman who is wearing her husband down. That's what you see. Now, ladies, hear me. When God gives this call to submission in your marriage relationship, this is not a consolation just to deal with sin. It's like, okay, well, now that sin's in the world and we got to deal with this, you have to be the slave, all right? Like, that's just what it is now. It's actually not that. This is a call back to beautiful design for wives. God is saying, I want you to experience all the benefits of what I made marriage to be. I want you to flourish in this relationship. And this idea of submission is actually meant to liberate you and set you free. Because when you see true godly submission, it's a totally different thing. I actually made an effort to give this a very specific definition because I want to give as much clarity as I can. What are we even talking about then, ladies? When we say we have a call to submission as a wife, here's my best effort after doing all this study. Submission. It is the divine call of a wife to honor and, co- and affirm and come alongside her husband to fulfill the purposes of God in and through their marriage. I think you can make a good argument that that's a decent definition. You look at genuine biblical submission, it's strong, it's confident, it's beautiful. It is attractive in so many ways. Ladies, it brings out the best in your husband. It allows you to be set free from so many insecurities and struggles. And ultimately, it honors and glorifies God. That is what we're talking about when we discuss this idea. Now, what's interesting, too, is once Paul kind of pitches this whole command to ladies, he actually gives the reason behind it. And it's kind of interesting. So you go back to the scripture in verse 23. Look what Paul says after this challenge to ladies. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife. We will talk about that. Don't worry. As Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. I know this is a mouthful. We'll explain it. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So the reason this is so important is 
This is not just some first century cultural contextualized command that we could just throw out. Paul is saying that marriage itself is pointing to a greater timeless spiritual reality of Jesus' relationship with us, his church, his people. That a husband and wife are actually called to reflect Jesus himself and his relationship with us, which is why you can't just throw this out. There's a bigger reality going on here. So it's rooted into how God designed this thing to work. But you see this idea, the husband is the head of the wife. Now, any of you husbands are like, you hear that, honey? Now here's your chance to listen. Just be careful, guys, all right? I'm coming for you in just a minute, okay? Don't get too cocky too soon. You hear, husband is head of the wife. This is definitely not a popular thing to say in our culture today. Because what is the problem with culture today? Men, right? It's all the men's fault. Like the last thing we want to do is give men more responsibility, right? That, that's the whole issue with the world. Down with the patriarchy, right? Isn't that what we say? It's all the guy's fault. I actually, in studying this, I couldn't help myself. I came across this article that just made me laugh. The writer was talking about the state of men in our culture. This is what they said. The males of many species are entirely useless at doing anything except sitting around getting fat at the female's expense, and beating up other males. <laughs> Amen, pastor. Sounds good. You, you really, you're like, you know what? That ain't too far off, actually, from kind of like my experience. This idea of the head, though. Paul says Jesus is the head of his church. How does Jesus act as a head? He comes to this earth, and he doesn't just assert his authority on us. He comes as a poor, humble carpenter. He doesn't just impose himself, throwing his weight around. He actually washes the very feet of the people who would betray and abandon him very soon after. He doesn't demand that people just serve and bow down to him. He comes and lives a life of total service. He comes with all of the power, everybody, all of it. And he uses that very power to lay his life down on a cross for the sake of his bride. That's what headship is, everybody. So if we're trying to make a definition for the guy side, men, what are we talking about you when it comes to headship? Again, my best effort at, at a definition here, headship for the husbands is the divine call of a husband to take primary responsibility in sacrificing, caring, and providing for his wife and household. This has nothing to do with abilities. It doesn't have to do with the importance of power dynamics. Paul isn't saying this because, well, men are bigger. Men are stronger. They're just going to be better at this than you ladies. Ladies, you are much more competent than your husbands in so many ways. The reasoning behind this is design. God has uniquely designed husbands to reflect the sacrificial role of Jesus in the marriage relationship. So men, you have to hear me. Your call to headship is not a right or a privilege. It is a burden and a responsibility. So what does this mean for the men then? What are you called to? How does this practically work its way out in a marriage relationship? Well, verse 25, Paul starts to give us some more detail. He says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what's the call, men? Love. It's love. And actually, this isn't satisfying your sexual desires with your wife. 
This isn't even about your feelings of affection towards her. That's what's interesting about this. It has nothing to do with that. That call to love right there is so critical to understand. It is an unceasing commitment to care for your wife, even at the expense of yourself. That's what it is. And guess what your bar is, guys? Jesus. You want to talk about a high bar? Paul's like, just act like Jesus in your marriage, guys. Great. Let's close in prayer. That's so easy to do. How how does Jesus do it? He gives his life up, lays it down, gives up everything for his own bride. There's actually a scholar who was commenting on this very passage, this historian. He said this, the call to husbands is unlike any other found throughout history or any other worldview. The amount of sacrifice required of husbands is unparalleled with other understandings of marriage outside of Christianity. You will not find a higher bar for husbands anywhere else in the world than in the church. Christian husbands have the highest calling you could imagine when it comes to their commitment to their wives. And Paul gives this even more meat, guys, He's like, you need to understand how far Jesus went for his bride. Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is our challenge, guys. Paul's saying, you have to look at Jesus' commitment. He does everything in his power to make his bride as radiant as possible. He will endure any inconvenience for her sake so she can flourish, so she can thrive and become the fullest, most beautiful version of herself. That's the example of Jesus. And now Paul rounds it out in verse 28 in the same way. All right, husbands, this is our call. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. So there is some profound spiritual realities that we fail to appreciate when it comes to our marriages, men in particular he's talking to. He's saying, you need to understand, your relationship with Jesus is so much more interconnected than you even realize. When he cares for his people's church, he is caring for his very body. His very presence is in it. There's so much oneness and intermingling here, we can't even fully appreciate it. And in the same way, Paul is saying, husbands, you don't even understand how interconnected you are with your wife. You are so connected that to even serve your wife is like serving your very own body. You cannot love your wife without experiencing the direct benefits of it because you guys are so interconnected. Everybody knows the line, happy wife, happy life. That's basically what Paul is saying. (laughs) He's like, that's how it works for you guys. And you think that you'd think this would be enough motivation for the husbands, right? Okay, guys, you're going to benefit if you take care of your wife. All right. So just do it. Be that simple. How many of us know that's not how it actually works out though? So we talked about the ladies, the challenge of the wife. Here, take a minute. You got to talk about the struggle of a husband because us husbands have very real struggles too. So in Genesis 3.16, God speaks to Eve. He says, your desire will be for your husband. But then he rounds out that phrase and speaks to the husband's side. And he will rule over you. So what's the struggle of the husband? It's that because of the fall, husbands now 
have a sinful tendency to not step into their God-given design to lovingly sacrifice, take initiative, and responsibility for their wives and families. But instead, us husbands become bad rulers, usually expressed in domineering aggression or weak passivity and non-engagement. That is the struggle of a husband. Now, I don't know if this would shock anybody, I really get to do a fair amount of marriage counseling, and I really enjoy it. I'm like so honored when couples reach out to me and think I can help play a role in their marriage. Seriously, it's an absolute privilege. Again, I don't know if this would shock you. 9.5 out of 10 times when this process starts, it's the wife driving everything. The whole process. She's the one who reaches out. She's the one who takes the initiative. She's the most concerned. She's the most vocal. She's the most invested in repairing whatever's left of the relationship. And even most times, to tell you guys the truth, the husband is actually nowhere to be seen. That's just my experience doing this. And it fits perfectly with what God says right here, that us men are going to struggle and we're going to shirk our responsibility for our wives and families and everyone suffers for it. Now, this is such a subtle detail in the Bible, but it's so critical for how we understand how a marriage relationship is supposed to work. If you go back to Genesis again, when sin enters the world, Adam and Eve, they equally sin. They are both guilty before God. Ladies, you screwed it up too, all right? So we're not just beating up on the guys here. We all screwed this thing up. Equally guilty, right? Equally wrong. Now, when this happens, Adam and Eve, they're hiding, they're sinful, they're ashamed. Genesis 3.9, look at this detail. But the Lord God called to who? The man. Where are you? Now they're both equally guilty. And yet who is God looking for? The man. And this is what's so critical for husbands to understand. Husbands, God holds you ultimately responsible for the outcome of your marriage and your family. You are ultimately accountable for this. And I honestly believe God has a question for some of the husbands here today. Where are you? Where are you? Some of you guys, you're disengaged. You're checked out. You're not emotionally present to your wife. She's picking up all of your slack. You're not stepping up in your home, spiritually, emotionally, any type of provision or care. Your family is suffering under your poor leadership. I hear so many husbands just bashing their wives all the time. Oh, she's such a nag. I can't even stand her. I don't even want to be around her. And I just can't help myself and say, you don't understand how this works. She's yours. You die for her. You give yourself up for her. You are going to stand before God for your marriage one day. Men, it's your responsibility. Hear me, husbands. The quality of your marriage is your job. It's your job. Now, I'm not saying that wives don't screw this up and make it a lot harder for husbands. But husbands, you have a divine call to step into your role of giving yourself up for your wife and for your family, for their care and provision, because it's exactly what Jesus did for his bride. You. 
I've talked to a lot of women about this topic. And you would think most women's attitude towards this whole thing would be, oh my goodness, submission, that's so antiquated. I hate this stuff. This is why I don't like church or God. And I understand there are some women out there that feel that way. You know what most women feel? Truly, most women I talk to. What I would do for a man who would treat me like that. What I would do for a man who takes initiative and really cares about the provision and protection of our family, a husband who's emotionally present to me, a husband who's actually made me the priority in his life, a husband I don't have to drag to church, but is seeking God for himself, praying over me and setting the spiritual tone for our family. I would love to give myself to a man like that. There are so many wives who are aching for this. And instead, they have husbands who are terrible rulers. And they are suffering all of the consequences for it. Husbands, this is your wife's desire. This is the desire of her heart. She wants to come alongside you as a partner to support and strengthen and step into what God has for your marriage together. This is what she wants. And some of you husbands are making it very difficult for her to do that. If you are in here today, and your family is a mess? Like truly. And I know there are marriages in here like that. Some of you husbands, you need to just look in the mirror and say, you know what? This may not be all my fault, but this is all my responsibility. And I'm going to do everything in my power with God's grace to clean up this mess because it's exactly what Jesus did for me. So Paul, he rounds this whole section out, verse 31. For this reason, he's quoting Genesis right now, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I love this line right here. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. So Paul has given all this application in. He's making sure this is his challenge. He's like, you must understand, when we talk about marriage, we're talking about something so much bigger than you. It's bigger than your own feelings, your own preferences, your frustrations. He's saying your marriage is picturing a massive spiritual reality. You can't even comprehend the magnitude of the marriage covenant you are in with what it represents, with how sacred it is, its holiness. It is so powerful. You can't even discuss marriage without speaking of the divine. That's how big this is. He's saying you have to appreciate the largeness of what we're really talking about. And he's like, man, it's so massive. It's a profound mystery. I don't even have words for it. He's like, let me try to summarize this up, okay? With all that being said, here's, all, here's what I have left on the matter. Last verse, verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul's like, if I can give you the simplest possible recipe for how God wants your marriage to function, with all of that being said, husbands, 
you really want to experience the benefits of the marriage God has called you to, the blessings it has to offer, you need to lay your life down. It's what you were called to do. You are made for it. And there's no qualifiers here, husbands. It's not like, well, unless she's a, a total nag or crazy or really annoying. No. Your love for her will benefit you. And it will make her submission a blessing and not a burden. But ladies, interestingly, Paul doesn't give you the same command. Paul says, wives, you need to respect your husband. You know, there's so many women, they love their husbands. They don't respect them. They don't respect them at all. A lot of women think their husbands are a joke. And yet Paul says, ladies, this doesn't matter how you feel about them. You need to show respect in your marriage covenant because your husband's called to be the head, not you. You're not God in his life. And he has a heavy weight and burden to carry, not you. And so your respect towards him out of the reverence you have for Jesus will make his sacrificial laying down of his life a joy and not a burden. So with like a little bit of the time we have left, I want to answer two questions that come up very often when we talk about this topic. Get real practical here. So people hear this and they say, well, Brian, what does headship and submission look like in real life then? Like, how does this actually practically work out like Monday through Friday? And here's what I want to be careful of. We sometimes talk about these biblical roles and it quickly degenerates into conversations about cultural or societal norms and traditional roles. So I want to be very careful. We're not talking about, okay, so wives submit. So you do the cooking and the cleaning and the husband's the head. So he mows the lawn and kills the spiders. And like, that's just kind of how it all works out. That's not what we're talking about at all. It's so tempting to turn this thing into a math equation. Like we want the perfect formula for how this looks. And what's interesting is Paul gives no specifics around actual responsibilities in the marriage. He doesn't. None of it. Because there is a wide range of how this will look in any given marriage. You've got different personalities, different seasons of life, different gifts, and God leaves a lot of room for how this would look. So there's a lot of art to this. It's not just science. So some of you type A people, you got to turn the science down a little bit, all right, and put a little art to this thing. Here's, here's the best application I give you. If you really want to see this work out in your marriage, the best thing you can do is make sure you get the posture and attitude of your heart right. Start there. So you need to pray and seek God. God, help me live this out in my own unique way. And I promise you, the roles and the responsibilities will start to work themselves out in a beautiful, unique way in your marriage relationship. So husbands, just pray to God. God, help me be a good head. Help me lead well, take initiative, help me care and lay my life down. I promise you, God will give you opportunities to do that. <laughs> and you will see them and you will live them out. Ladies, on the same way, you say, God, give me an attitude of just respect and reverence for you. And I want to be a godly partner to my husband. And I promise you, he will give you ways to do that. It'll work itself out. That's the best thing you do though. Focus on the heart first. And secondly, some people, this is the real hard thing. I really want this, but my spouse does not. What do I do? Now, let me say this too. There's a lot of people where they both want this. And still, even though you're both trying, it can feel one-sided. It's like, man, I feel like I'm trying a lot harder. I'm doing a better job and they're not really living up to it. But even a lot of people in marriages really want this and the spouse is meh about it. So what do you do in this situation? There's actually a passage that speaks specifically to wives, but I think the principle applies broadly to marriage. So track with me here. First Peter 3, verse 1, look what it says. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. We heard that, right? So this is a biblical teaching here. It's in other parts of the Bible. So that, get this, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over 
without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So here's the thing. Get track with me here. Peter's speaking specifically to wives who are married to men who are not Christians. Okay? Common thing even today. But I think there's a principle here for both spouses. I think you can make the argument that if you are married to somebody who either doesn't share your same beliefs or is not behaving the way you would hope God would call them to, living up to biblical standard, even in extreme cases, you don't even share the same faith. You know what Peter says? Still commit yourself to your role. Live up to your call that God has for you. And interestingly, he says, this is a potent strategy for transformation, not only in your own life, but it actually has the power to change their life as well. It has the power to completely win them over and open up God's work, their lives. Some of you guys got to get out of the way in your marriage and start living it out yourself and praying really hard. Now, even as a practical thing, I just want to get real helpful here. Sometimes it is very appropriate to get some conversation going though too. I get it. Sometimes prayer just ain't the only thing you should be doing. And some of you guys, you need to be very prayerful about, you know what? Maybe there's a right time and a right place and a right tone to approach my spouse about this. And maybe we even need to involve a third party. And you approach them with as much humility as you possibly can muster. And you say, honey, I want our marriage to work. I don't want it just to work. I want it to win. I want to love and serve you better. And these are some of the things I want to start digging into and doing. And regardless of what you choose to do, I'm going to do this. But I would love for you to come on this journey with me. And you go through this process and you see if maybe God might do a work in their own heart and you can live this together. You know, I just know sometimes this marriage conversation thing is hard. And there's a lot of people I talk to, they're just like, Brian, that's not only not happening in my marriage, I'm not sure if we can ever experience that just with where we're at. I asked Nicole a little while back, I said, what's the best marriage you have ever seen in your life? The best one that you've experienced. And what blew my mind was, she said the same exact marriage I was thinking of. It was kind of amazing. There's this couple we know named Frank and Carolyn. And when I was starting out in ministry, I was going through seminary, starting to work at a church. Carolyn was actually my boss at one of the first churches I worked at. And I had this massively long commute. And so she's like, Brian, why don't you just live with us? It'll save time and gas money and all these things. You know, you're broke 20 something. And so I started to get ready to move into their basement. I still remember the day Frank came to the church office to meet me before I moved in. And this dude walks in, six foot five guy in full military uniform, high level military ranking guy, giving me like the hardest firm handshake, you know, breaking up blood circulation in my hand. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, what have I gotten myself into? Can I live in this guy's basement? <laughs> what I didn't expect to happen was I got a front row seat to this profound mystery that Paul talks about. Because Frank, his entire posture towards Carolyn was one of placing her life over his own. She was his total priority after Jesus. I never a single time saw him power up on her, threaten her, or just throw his weight around. He was always attentive and gentle, emotionally present. You could see him bearing the weight of responsibility for his family. You could tell he was carrying it. And every day I would see him in the same spot, in the Bible, praying to God and setting the spiritual tone for his family. And Carolyn, because of Frank's commitment and devotion to her, there was a freedom and a security and a joy in her life because she knew her husband would do anything for her. And then on the other side, Carolyn, her entire demeanor towards Frank was one of 
real respect. I never saw her belittle him or do snide remarks or even just be manipulative in any way. Even her facial expression was like one of genuine honor towards this man. And you look at Frank, he wasn't just sitting there just avoiding his wife or tolerating her, just putting up with any of it. You looked at him and there was a strength and a confidence because he knew he had a wife who not only believed in him, but was committed to going on the journey with him and living out God's call for their marriage. Both of them thrived because each one lived into their divine call as a husband and wife. If you are married today or hope to even be married one day, you need to know this is what God wants for you. When you see a beautiful marriage, the reason it's so compelling and attractive is because you are actually getting a glimpse into Jesus himself. You're seeing his very love and devotion played out on a human stage. And that's why Paul calls it a profound mystery. So I want to give some homework to the couples here. Got some homework for you guys. Wives, I'm giving you a challenge. As soon as you possibly can, if you have a husband you're with and you'll see them today, I want to challenge you to ask your husbands this question. Where do I do a good job showing submission and respect in our marriage? And then followed up with, where can I do better? Now, husbands, if you want to sleep on the roof tonight, a great way to answer would be, well, here's a list I actually have of what you're not currently doing. Now, I challenge you, husbands, if your wife is brave enough to make herself vulnerable like that, you respond with the, as much gentleness as you can. Thank you so much for asking me, honey. I know how hard that is to even ask. And here's so many things you do to just honor and respect me. And I'm so grateful. And actually, here's some things that would help me be better as a husband. But guys, you probably knew this was coming. I got some homework for the husbands too. I want to challenge the husbands in this room. Do this today with your wife, if you will see her. Ask her, where do I do a good job loving you in our marriage? And then follow that up with, how can I love you better? And ladies, this is not the time to say, well, I've been telling you all this stuff for the last 10 years, but you don't listen anyway, so why are we even having this conversation? Not the time to do that, ladies. You honor the fact that your husband is putting himself in a very vulnerable spot. And you say, honey, I, oh my goodness, thank you so much. Like, this makes me respect you so much more that you're even doing this. And there are so many things you do, here are the things you do, but you know what would help me flourish as a wife? Some of these things would really make me feel loved. And I actually know that simple exercise is going to be very hard for some couples. Because a lot of marriages, they get to a point where you just kind of have a ceasefire, but there's no real intimacy and vulnerability at all. And I'm wondering if maybe today's an opportunity for some of the marriages in here that are stuck at a standstill, for you to take a step of faith, open yourself up to God and your spouse and say, honey, I'm actually here to apologize. I'm here to ask for forgiveness. I'm here to repent. And I'm actually asking for you to give me some grace because I, I want to do better. I really want to do better. And I'm asking that you will go with me on this journey of improving our marriage. And I'm wondering if God might start doing a work in some of the marriages here to work up the hard soil in your hearts and start seeing God do a beautiful, profound mystery work in your own marriage. 
And just so you guys know how much we care about this, even at Northern Hills, I kind of want to plant this date in the back of your mind. On October 21st, we're actually going to have a marriage event at this church for all couples a Friday night. We're just going to bless families. Thank you. I appreciate the excitement about that. So we're, we're just going all in for the couples. You know, you're engaged, whatever. You're in a serious relationship. We want to invest in you and help you thrive in your relationship. So October 21st is Friday night. If you just want to save that date in your mind, we'll talk about it more in these coming weeks. Um, but we'll also be launching marriage groups in October. That will be coming. So just be ready for that for any couples that want that. If you are somebody in here, I know a sermon is often just not enough to get moving in some of this. And you want to get deeper. You're, you're hungry for this. You need it. There's actually many marriage books out there. A lot give tips and tricks and stuff, which isn't bad. There's one book in particular, I've read a lot of these, that I think is really, really good. And it's called The Meaning of Marriage. If you're somebody who wants to go deeper into this whole idea of what God calls you to do, this book gives a beautiful biblical vision for how and why God designed this whole thing the way he did. And it gives some really good practicals on how to live it out as a husband and wife. So I really encourage you to check that book out. And then finally, please, everybody, if you want to text in any questions, prayer requests, stories, redemption, struggles, we want to go on this journey together as a church. And I think it will really bless you. But for all of us, we're going to take a moment out. We're going to ask God to come into our marriages and into our lives to help us step into what he's called to so we can experience all of the benefits of what he has for us. So will you guys join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, we thank you so much that you truly are the perfect spouse. You perfectly gave up your life. You perfectly love and serve us. You give us everything we need. You set the tone, Lord. You are the perfect example. And we could experience all the benefits of you being that perfect spouse. And now I pray for the marriages in this room and online, Lord. I just pray for your grace and your work, even your healing. Lord, we want to experience all that you have for our marriages. We want them to be that profound ministry, mystery, beautiful design, wonderful example. We want people to see Jesus in our marriages. And so help us, Lord, step into our roles, step into what you've called us to. And I do want to pray specifically for the very broken marriages in our church the ones that are just hanging on by a thread that are really struggling. Lord, I pray that you would, have, you would use even today in whatever is necessary to help there be healing and restoration and forgiveness and grace. Lord, I pray for the husbands in our church. Help us step up, Lord. Help us live into our call. Help us take on that burden of responsibility because it's what you did for us. And Lord, help our ladies just have a beautiful, reverent heart towards you that works itself out in respect and genuine biblical submission in the marriage relationship. And Lord, ultimately, this is all for your glory. Jesus, we pray you would be lifted high in our relationships, and we pray this in your wonderful name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.